All right, we're gonna get started. I'm gonna call this meeting to order of the OCO Oversight Committee. It's January 25th, this is a special meeting, and we do have quorum. So we're gonna call this meeting to order, starting with roll call. Uh, Vice Chair D'Antonio? Here. Member Friedenbach? Here. Member Preston? Here. Member Walton? Here. Chair Williams? Here. All right, so we do have quorum, and I'm gonna read our land acknowledgement. So we acknowledge that we're on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushalone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushalone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatouche community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. All right, so we'll move to our highly anticipated item number two, which is our Transitional Age Youth Housing Fund allocation proposal. So I believe I'll turn it over to Member, member Friedemach. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks, Chair Williams. Good morning, everyone. Um, so... This has been a little, <laughs> a little while coming. I'm really excited nonetheless, though. Um, so just in terms of background, we had um, uh, funding that we applied for, um, some acquisitions of buildings, and then in the, in the youth housing fund, um, we ended up getting grants through the um, project Home Key, and so the fund was reimbursed. Um, there was also some other unused funds, and the um, DHSHS, uh, the Homeless Department staff, did um, an analysis of the amount of funding, and um, uh, there was basically 19.2 one-time funds. Um, of that, uh, well, 10.7 of it is one-time, um, 8.5 unallocated acquisition funds. And just to remind folks, you know, because of the first two years of the fund, we had the the uh, proposition. The initiative was held up in court. Um, those we ended up still collecting the funds, and then they were released in the third year. And so we have, you know, one-time funds from that as well. So just for members of the audience, um, I think that that's a helpful um, piece there. And so um, the homeless emergency service provider. Um, associations youth committee um, got together and basically went through a process of checking capacity in each of the youth providers and coming up with ideas about um, how this money could be spent um, you know it's a little bit tricky because the one-time funds you know were a little bit more limited um, but there was uh, some funds in there that were ongoing which is which was really beautiful which was not the case um, for the families and so um, the groups that, um, that gave input included the um, Homeless Youth Alliance, um, Larkin Street, um, Booker T. Washington, Third Street Youth, LGBT Center, um, At the Crossroads. Um, and so, um, you know, really a bro broad spectrum, uh, oh, and um, Five Keys, um, a broad spectrum of uh, organizations that provide services to unhoused youth. Um, so the proposal, um, the first piece of the proposal is to have, um, uh, to acquire a small site 
Um, and this could look like, you know, buying a house or um, a large flat um, and um, basically create um, supportive housing. Um, they were very, um, the proposal's very um, deliberate about trying to find something outside of the tenderloin. Um, and uh, that, um, that would be coupled with uh, 3.7 million annually in support services for the site. And so it would be um, kind of a unique, uh, you know, program with um, shared permanent housing for youth that has um, a lot of support services attached to it. Um, and then they, there's also $8 million in rapid rehousing. Um, and this was very deliberately targeting youth that are leaving transitional housing. Um, and there has been a kind of a log jam there um, where there hasn't been enough of the short-term subsidies. Um, these would be three, uh, you know, three-year subsidies um, and um, funded over a four-year period. And um, this is really about making sure that um, those exits out of transitional housing are supported. And so folks are not in this revolving door where they're back to the street, back to shelter, back in transitional housing, and kind of just trying to trying to move people from there. Um, and there's also, you know, this, there's also some funding down, some down funding on monies from the state previously around this that are ending. And so this, um, this staves off losing capacity there. Um, and then um, a proposal that um, was really championed by Third Street Youth around um, around targeting um, subsidies towards um, youth that were impacted by interpersonal violence. And it's something that they've been seeing really um, regularly. Um, and that's a 2.7 million to serve 15 youth. Um, that, um, that would be three year uh, subsidies. Um, so a smaller, much more targeted program, but really um, this is an issue that keeps coming up in a lot of different fronts. Um, and um, that I think has been really, there's a big report that came out of the homeless department around, around really just a need for increased services for populations experiencing violence. Um, and then the last piece is, um, so yeah, that was a smaller one for 15, whereas the rapid rehousing is a larger for 60. Um, this last piece is um, part of the ongoing expenditures and it's flex pool subsidies, which are basically, uh, basically what they look like is local section eights partnered with um, with support services. So people use it in the private market. Um, they pay 30% of their income, um, but it's different from local sec from section eight in that it's local. So you can you don't have the documentation barriers and some of the other stuff that the federal federal government um, dollars has. Um, and then you are very intentionally um, working in the support services there. And so that's for 50. Um, I keep wanting to say kids. Um, 50 transitional aged youth um, that um, is at three three point seven million and um, and that would be um, basically that would ramp over ramp up over a two year um, over a two year process. So um, that's that's the proposal. I just want to make some more comments. Just kind of note um, that um, there's been a lot of concern because. On our last, um, we, we did the same process for families and um, that went out to bid, which is wonderful. Um, so the monies went out to bid, but not the entire amount, just a small portion of it went out to bid. And, um, 
And so it was just a few million instead of the 25 million. And the way it was structured was not at all how the committee recommended. Um, we were recommending um, a, a five-year subsidies that were deep, that had support services, um, that were um, plentiful so that after the five years, the families could transition out. And the bid that went, the RFP that went out, the request for proposals, which is how, how the money's dispersed, um, and then organizations apply for it, um, had a um, limit of $1,100 subsidy cap um, for rental assistance, which we don't think is, we did not think was adequate. We were thinking more up to around 3,000. Um, and um, the case management ratio is one case manager for 60 families, which actually in the way that when you're serving families, you're also serving the needs of the kids. So in reality, that's more like one to 180, <coughs> not that 60 was bad enough. And then one case manager to find housing for 60, um, uh, 60 families, which is not the standard at all. And what, um, what best practices, or at least in San Francisco, um, you know, one to 20s, you know, they're trying to move to one to 15 case management ratio. And in the programs that have been really successful finding housing for folks, um, it looks very similar to like a one to 20, one to 25 um, uh, ratio there. So we're really, really concerned about that. And we're not voting on that today, but I'm just making these comments because I'm, we're really hopeful that when this money goes out, it goes out in the way that, that we're intending because a lot of thoughtfulness went into this and a lot of, um, same with the family proposal. Um, you know, we got imp a lot of input from people who are personally impacted and then people who are, um, people who are providers who are seeing what's working and not working um, as we're trying all these new things. I mean, a lot of these are new interventions. And so, you know, we're trying new things and the providers are figuring out what's working well and what's not working well and really putting a lot of thought into um, and sharing, you know, that's the collaborative thing, you know, sharing with each other, you know, this is the best practice here. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And then coming together and saying, okay, you know, based on all this experience that's so rich where this is the proposal we'd like to see. So I wanted to just um, make those comments as well. Um, and I will stop there. Sorry for talking so long. No, thank you so much, Member Friedenbach, for all your hard work. And I want to thank all the providers who put so much thoughtfulness into these proposals. Um, we're going to open it up for public comment. So, Ivy. At this time, we will take in-person public comments followed by phone public comments. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment in person, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have two minutes to speak. Good morning, um, members. Um, my name is Marnie Regan. Um, I'm with Larkin Street Youth Services, also co-chair of HESPA and chair of the TAY subcommittee of HESPA. This TAY proposal is all about flow in and out of the homeless response system. Moving from one program into another is absolutely crucial for young people in a transitional period of their lives. A well-functioning youth system means no one stays in it forever. This well-thought-out proposal provides 158 unhoused youth with housing over the next three years. It's worth noting that HSH only dedicates 8% of their budget for transitional-age youth, despite TAPE making up 20% of the population. TAPE providers are serving increasing numbers <clears throat> of pre-documented <clears throat> asylum-seeking youth, pregnant and parenting TAPE, DV surviving youth, as well as trans youth seeking sanctuary from states passing horribly harmful laws that threaten their well-being and humanity. 
We need to bulk up resources to pre prevent these very vulnerable populations from falling into homelessness and becoming our future adult unhoused population. I also want to mention that eviction protections have expired, so many providers are bracing for non-payment of rent from folks who may have lost jobs or, or who are underemployed. So anything we can do to help keep folks housed and prevent more homelessness is absolutely critical, especially as the mayor and other city leaders are trying to pass legislation that jeopardizes public benefits in housing. Thank you for your thoughtful consideration of the TAE provider's proposal for these OCO funds. Good morning, members of the OCA committee. My name is Adam Norvaroqua, and I'm the senior TAE navigator at the SFLGBT Center. I speak to this committee for the new TAE proposal. Um, for the new TAE proposal, this proposal is a necessary one to help unhoused youth become housed. For our queer and trans youth under threat, this budget proposal helps uh, our youth who are dealing with unhoused on homelessness to become housed. I speak also in favor of the flexible subsidies, for they are a game changer for clients who are eligible. For the teens that are referred to this program, they are overjoyed to have their housing secured, which enables them to pursue their passions, like going back to school or work. I applaud this committee for your advocacy, and I also would like to thank you and each member, and thank you to our uh, advocate, our Access Point partners, and lastly, thank you to HSH for your continual support of our unhoused clients. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So my name is Miguel Carrera. So uh, I'm working in the Coalition on Homelessness um, uh, and working with the families and youth. Um, so why we focus on youth? So first thing I want to say, why we focus on youth? I am a father. I had two youths, 20, 22 and 25. Mm -hmm. So yes. We have so many, many parents, families, homelessness, with living in shelters, living in cars, and RVs, and the streets, and tents, with youth, with no opportunities. So we, we need to invest more in, in our youth community. Our youth community, our children, it's the future of San Francisco. It's the future of us. We already, I have a 60 years old, so, Couple years more than I retire, but our kids as the leaders who want to take this this city, and we have to invest in them. So I really want to ask you and please, and thank you for supporting the proposal type proposal, and I really want to working together, trying to working together to pushing really hard to this money is allocated for the youths because we already passed this money last year. And this money they had to keep him for the youths. And we want to continue to find and struggle to make sure every single penny is going to the housing and services for you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Good morning, chair and members. Good to see you. Thanks for getting up early. My name is Jesse Stout. I use he, him pronouns. I live and work here in this neighborhood. I live three blocks that way. Um, every day I walk around this neighborhood and we have a pretty sad situation in that there are clearly many hundreds of people 
suffering and living and dying here on our streets and sidewalks. And many of them are young, very young, younger than any of us in this room. And I think that it's an excellent opportunity for us to spend our city's money to actually help people here. When I heard that there's $19 million been identified that we can spend on traditional age youth housing, I was very eager to be here this morning and tell you that I think that's a very important thing that we should definitely do. I think that our city has plenty of money to house the homeless, and if we could spend this $19 million to house young homeless people, then we should do that urgently and immediately. Um, as a person who lives and works right around here, I can tell you we really need it, because when I rock around my neighborhood here, I see a lot of people, both young and very seriously ill, who would clearly be better served if they were living indoors. So please and thank you. Hi everyone, good morning. My name is Hope Kamer, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm the Director of Public Policy at Compass Family Services and the Chair of the HESPA Family Provider Committee. I'm here to share that the family providers are enthusiastic to support this desperately needed budget allocation for Tay. Um, there is significant, significant unmet need across the population, including parenting transitional-aged youth and unaccompanied youth. Um, we hope that you can support this proposal and support our partners at the city in getting these dollars onto the street in an expedited way. Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Selena. Um, I'm the organizing director of the Coalition on Homelessness. I just wanna say thank you all for being here. And I feel like this proposal really will help our youth, especially because 8% of the homeless department budget goes toward the youth, yet only 20% 20, 20 of the population of homelessness are the youth. Um, I also believe that the flexibility of subsidies will help the youth to be housed, and I think that this proposal is super important to help the transitional age youth to be able to have a place to be able to call home, and also those that are experiencing violence to be able to have the right necessity, like resources to be able to be better. Um, so thank you all for the members for putting together this proposal. Thank you. Hello, City Council. Um, I'm not I'm not a very big speaker, but um, my name is Bo Rawlings, and I am a member of the San Francisco community, um, and a great member, um, a proud member, um, and I would like to think that I, you know, put my best foot forward, and but I'm I'm caught off guard by my homelessness and um and i know that a lot of other people are as well and just to kind of piggyback on what that young man was saying that's why i kind of rushed out and i wanted to catch him there are so many homeless individuals out here out there in the community i mean a lot of them are even protesting against being able to to you know touch this 19 million dollars i know that there has been some some money granted 
because I've been told about it. I know that even I, maybe I've been given that uh, portion of it personally, but I, I, I've yet to even receive that. And it's like, so just kind of given kind of demographic on it is how would I, or kind of question being, how would, how do we get uh, get a portion of this money? Is it possible or is it out of reach for a 33-year-old young man? Thank you. Do we want to take it? Um, if you want to leave your information here, we do have providers that are here in the space. And I don't know, yeah, Jenny, this, if you want to. This particular proposal is for transitional age youth. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't serve people um, outside of their 20s. However, most of the funding in the homeless uh, department goes towards adults such as yourself. And so um, I think um, I, I do have a staff person here, uh, Mr. Carrera, who can who can chat with you after the meeting um, and uh, kind of figure out what you've done so far and what next steps, possible next steps could be. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Be thank great. you. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. The, the hope. Thank you to all our public commenters. Ivy, do we have anyone online? Members of the public who wish to provide public comment over the phone, please call 415 655-0001 and enter access code 2660-921-1728. Then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have two minutes. Moderator, do we have any public comments on the phone? Hi, my name is Colleen Padger. I'm Director of Public Policy for First Place for Youth. Our organization operates transitional housing programs for current and former foster youth in six California counties, including San Francisco. Our mission is to help foster youth build the skills they need to make a successful transition to self -defense. In addition, First Place for Youth is also a partner organization in San Francisco's Rising Up, which is a rapid housing initiative that is focused on reducing youth. First Place for Youth provides case management and education and employment support youth in Rising Up in order to help them build the need for long-term independence. We have served a total of 120 youth since we began the program. Rising Up has proven to be a successful rapid rehousing model and shown that investing in models like this can be invaluable to helping reduce homelessness. Therefore, first place for you support housing fund allocation proposal before you and urges in that vote. Thank you. Hi, this is Kristen Evans. I'm on the Homeless Oversight uh, Commission, but also uh, have worked on the over Our City, Our Home um, Coalition. And um, I wanted to thank and commend this body for working on looking at all the aspects of the fund and where the unspent money is and ensuring that there are recommendations for the best use of those funds. Um, as we know, the department has prioritized the adult shelter aspect of the OCO fund, and it's absolutely necessary that we 
honor what we told voters, which is that we would go upstream and provide uh, not just shelter, but also housing for uh, transitional age youth and families. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that there's a, a feasible, actionable, immediate to hit the ground proposal on, on the table. And I uh, fully support uh, the commission making the recommendation to allocate these funds. Thanks so much. <clears throat> For the records, there are no more in-person or over-the-phone public comments. Thank you so much, Ivy, and thank you again to all of our public commenters and to all the providers. I'm going to open it up to the committee for any comments and discussion. I really love this proposal, and especially effective use of funds across the diversity of programs. Um, I want us to encourage that HSH and anybody else who expends this money um, pays attention to those uh, subsidies in that are funded with one-time money to use it effectively because obviously it's well planned out for three-year subsidies and two-year subsidies but um, if people leave earlier there'll be other money and how they use that without the assumption in light of our current budget issues that there can be backfill money uh, additional funds I think makes for effective use so I just encourage that that be a part of how this uh, money is allocated Thank you so much. Member Friedenbach? Yeah, um, well, uh, should I make a motion? Okay, so um, I'd like to make a motion to um, the OCO oversight body to vote to approve the, um, uh, the TAY funding recommendations that came from the HESPA TAY subcommittee. Thank you, Member Friedenbach. Is there a second? I'll second. All right, seconded. All right, so Ivy, please. Vice Chair D'Antonio. Um, I think I have to abstain from the vote because I work at Third Street Youth Center and Clinic. Member Friedenbach. Do I? Right? Um, I don't think so. I Oh, okay. Okay, I just don't want it to be like a conflict then. Okay. Okay, then yes. Member Friedenbach? Yes. Member Preston? Yes. Member Walton? Yes. Chair Williams? Yes. All right, so the motion passes. Yay. Thank you, everyone. Really happy we got to this point. All right, and thank you everyone for joining and coming out to multiple meetings to make sure that this happened. Um, thank you for all your hard work, and um, as a former transitional age youth myself, this is super important and just really honored for all the hard work, so thank you. All right, so we're gonna move to item number three, our budget priorities and liaison planning, and I'm happy to welcome Radhika. Um, welcome to the committee. Good morning, everybody. Um, can you all hear me okay? Great. Um, it's really nice to meet you all. Um, as you all know, I'm Radhika Melodra. I'm the new homelessness policy specialist in the controller's office. Um, and next up on our agenda is to look ahead to the annual budget recommendations process. 
Um, so before we actually dive into the details of the process, um, I've put together some information for us just for context setting. And to that end, we'll first review the committee's priorities and values that were previously shaped by the OCO investment plan and the needs assessment. Um, then I'd like to take some time to remind us all of the budget context that's affecting both the homelessness gross receipts tax as well as the city and county of San Francisco at large. And then the last thing will be that we'll talk through the process and the timeline for the committee to make its recommendations over the next several months. And I'll offer some related prompts for discussion for you all to engage in today. Great. So the first priority I want to discuss today um, that um, really, again, comes from the combination of the investment plan that was put together in 2021, as well as the needs assessment in 2022 that have helped focus this committee's work on addressing racial inequalities is the centering of racial equity in the committee's work. There's two prominent ways that this priority shows up in the R-City, R-Home Fund. The first is, a, is the disaggregating of data by race and ethnicity to inform all decision making. Then using the insights from that disaggregated data to prioritize populations that are disproportionately impacted and are faced the greatest barriers to accessing housing and services through the existing homelessness response system. This is achieved by programs that focus investments in specific neighborhoods in San Francisco, as well as those that tailor services according to the population needs. The second priority is a wider array of programs to meet diverse needs. And this is really a priority of the committee um, that comes from a wide range of programs that meet people where they are. This, this has meant creating interventions that are aligned with the various factors that actually contribute to homelessness. So this shows up in a whole host of ways across the service areas of the fund, and so it takes many different forms. And this is a sort of um, you know, set of examples that we've outlined for you all here. So for example, it can really look like meeting the specific housing needs of adults, families, and transitional aged youth within the housing service area. And it can also look like ensuring system flow by pairing temporary interventions and services, such as shelter, safe sleep sites, and behavioral health services with more permanent housing solutions. I'll give you all a second to kind of digest this slide. I know there's a lot of content on here. That brings us to our third priority, which is to prioritize permanent housing solutions to generate system flow. The committee has prioritized the housing first approach and recommended programs that recognize permanent housing as the solution to homelessness with low barrier and individualized services. Bolstering permanent housing solution helps create outflow. It leads to more turnover and helps serve more households. 
On the flip side, when permanent housing solutions are not available, beds turn over slowly and serve fewer households, which may increase unsheltered homelessness. It affects the length of time people remain homeless, and therefore demand for high-cost interventions also increases. In tandem, the work of the committee has simultaneously prioritized interventions that work on the other side, which is limiting the inflow of people into the homelessness system through prevention programs, or those that help um, f return folks rapidly to housing. The fourth priority is um, increasing investment by leveraging funding and coordinating efforts to bring resources to scale. The committee has set out to prioritize OCO funds for the most strategic uses with consideration of how to most effectively leverage and fill gaps of local, state, and federal funds when needed. This again, um, like much of these priorities, shows up in many different forms across the fund. And so this has really ranged from using OCO as matching funds in home key acquisitions from the state to fortifying and extending federal funding for prevention resources. Lots of good content. So this is sort of um, the set of priorities that I wanted us to sort of have fr uh, front of mind as we enter the budget recommendations process. But equally important um, is really sort of understanding the budget context that we're in. And so as you all know from the most recent controller's office presentation, the source that funds OCO, the homelessness gross receipts tax, is considered highly volatile and sensitive. In the last two years, revenue has come in roughly $60 million under the expected amount. And there's a couple of major contributing factors to this that you all have heard directly from the controller's office about. The first, of course, is that this is, a, this is funded by a small taxpayer base. So any change has a large impact on the revenue that comes in. So it's a small pool that's really contributing to this tax base. The city has also seen high levels of business tax litigation recently, which really, of course, points to the growing complexity of the city's business tax regime. But it also points to the fact that I sort of made in just before, which is that a few payers can really have an outsized impact on the revenue outlook. So this has further impacted the amount of money that is coming into the OCO fund. So we'll look at the forecast that again um, should be um, at least a little bit familiar from the last meeting. Um, so the most recent projection from the fall shows that there is a pretty large delta between what was previously projected and what we now expect, sort of knowing the context um, of what we know. In the current year alone, which is fiscal year 23-24, the projected revenue to come in is about $38 million less than our prior projection. <coughs> 
And in the budget years, which is forward looking, which is fiscal years 24, 25, and 25, 26, there's nearly $96 million less in revenue over the two years. Combining those two, the 43.8 and the $52.1 million there. And of course, just as a reminder again, um, as you all saw in the most recent annual report, most of the fund has been allocated. We've made a lot of good progress in terms of implementation of programs. And so what that really means is that most of the fund is sort of already carrying a lot of ongoing cost. So because we've made such strides in implementation, um, there's a lot of ongoing cost that is baked into the fund. And so, you know, looking at $38 million less in this year and, you know, $96 million less over the next two years, those are the sort of important points of consideration. First meeting. <laughs> um, so um, we'll come back. We can, you know, come back to those details. Um, but I wanted to sort of move into the process and the timeline. And so I'm laying out here a series of milestones that the committee can look forward to to help shape and determine this year's budget recommendations. Um, so actually starting next week, um, we plan to conduct our first liaison meeting um, that will allow the committee to do a programmatic deep dive and learn the details of program implementation. Then just shortly after, uh, on February 22nd, when the next committee meeting is scheduled, the committee will learn about um, the progress that we've made in terms of spending over the last six months um, and you'll also hear um, implementation updates from the departments. So the um, liaison meeting is a chance for you all to do a bit of a deep dive with the pro you know, department sort of subject matter experts on programming. And then we'll also have them come and do a presentation to the full committee on February 22nd. In March, we plan to conduct the second set of liaison meetings. Um, and this is really um, meant for you all to be able to have um, time to do a deep fiscal dive and sort of learn all of the relevant details of the budget. So February is really focused on program. March is really focused on the sort of fiscal side. And then at the March meeting, the committee will also receive updates um, on the updated revenue forecast, which is part of the controller's office sort of budget process as well as hear from um, departments regarding their actual OCO budget submissions for fiscal year 24-25 and 25-26. So by the end of March, after both sets of liaison meetings, the committee should have all of the information and context that you all need to develop your set of priorities so that by April, you all can share your final recommendations with the mayor's office, with the Department of Public Health's Health Commission, and HSH's Homelessness Oversight Commission. And so again, just a little bit of recap. 
programmatic deep dive coming next week. Then you'll have a chance to understand sort of where is spending at the six-month mark. Um, departments will also come and present where they are in terms of implementation. So really the idea here is between the six-month spending, the implementation progress, you all will really have a good sense of sort of where underspend is landing at year end and what are the implications of that um, to each of the service areas in the fund. Um, I'll mention this, um, just I know that some of you have reached out to directly already about this, um, but looking ahead to the liaison meetings that um, are scheduled for next week, a um, couple of um, things that we should probably discuss about um, you know, actually uh, who's available to be the liaison and who are the other folks that would like to join these meetings. Um, and so there's a permanent housing liaison meeting that's scheduled for February 14th at 4 p.m. Um, and we currently don't have a liaison for permanent housing. And also, again, please um, express interest if you're um, interested in joining that meeting. Then, of course, there's <coughs> going to be the prevention meeting that's scheduled on February 12th at 4 p.m. Um, and uh, Member Preston is the liaison for prevention. Uh, mental health, a um, bit of an update we have that is scheduled for February 14th at 2.30 p.m. And it sounds to me like uh, Member Cunningham Dunning is no longer a part of the um, committee. And so um, that meeting is already scheduled. Um, so uh, let's kind of slot that into the housing, permanent housing liaison discussion as well on how we want to tackle that. And then the last one is the <laughs> shelter and hygiene liaison meeting, which is scheduled for February 15th at 12.30 p.m. And member Friedenbach is the liaison for shelter and hygiene. Talk about this first, or should we talk about the discussion props? Sure. Um, Chair Williams, um, we have a couple of discussion prompts, but then also um, some of these liaison sort of logistics to work through. So should I go ahead and open up the prompts, or should we talk about this first? Yeah, let's open it up to the liaison meetings first. Um, I'm looking at my calendar as you have this up, and I know I'm not available at these times. Are these flexible times with the news that Member Cunningham Dinning is no longer with the committee? Can we shift the times? Um, unfortunately, Chair Williams, this was uh, pretty difficult to schedule because we really want um, the full department representation. And so having to work with those folks, um, our preference is really to keep these slots. Um, but we can make changes. Given the changes to uh, the uh, liaison staffing, because we have a member who resigned, so um, we would want to identify who's the point on the behavioral health meeting, and then we can try to find a time that works. But it will need to be that week. It's We're tight because it's a holiday week the following week, and we have our meeting on that Thursday. So we're trying to get the information into people's heads before the committee meeting and so it's just a scheduling logistics issue that we'll have to try to find some flexibility around. I would love to join the mental health but I have a conflict um, due to my appointment with Rafiki so I won't 
be able to join that one. Um, I could do the permanent housing on the 14th at four, if there's other members who wanna join. Yeah, I, I could do the behavioral health um, if they can't find, an, I mean, it sounded like they can maybe find another time, but I could do the behavioral health one and the housing one as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, any other? Uh, I'm willing to participate in both the permanent housing and the homeless prevention. Um, oh, I'm already got that. Well, I know, but I mean, it's another <laughs> member attending. Oh, we need yeah. two. We don't need to. It's just. Oh, but we can oh, have oh, up to yeah. four, so okay. if members are interested. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's helpful. You have like another. No, that's great. Yeah. I'm all for that. So I'm just looking at these empty spots and worried about that. Yeah. So, uh, Member Friedenbach, it sounds like you can join the mental health. Yeah. Meeting. Okay, that's great. And we both can join the permanent housing. Yeah. I'll probably go to the permanent housing one as well. All right. Thank you. I don't know if this will impact the scheduling oh, of these um, liaison meetings, but I need to ask for an excuse to be excused from the next meeting on the 22nd, and that's going to cause a non-quorum, right? So I don't know if that if you want to change a liaison meeting to that, um, or I don't I don't know how to deal with that. Um, the regular meeting is uh, Feb 22, um, and Member Preston has previously said you're unavailable. We can have the committee today because there is a quorum vote to excuse you, which is fine, um, but it does mean that at that meeting there won't be a quorum. Um, we, uh, the thing that, uh, the only voting item um, on the February 22nd meeting is the officer elections. Officer elections by bylaws have to be at a regular meeting. So scheduling a special meeting doesn't solve for the um, need to vote on that one item. All of the other items are informational. Um, so it's, but it is sort of, um, you know, uh, budget versus actions updates as um, Radhika shared and sort of department implementation updates, et cetera. Um, so there is sort of the, um, uh, logistics around um, scheduling a special meeting to hear those items um, would be tricky, um, given that we would then be moving into additional liaison meetings in March um, and sort of having a lot of scheduling of people. Okay. So. Is there any mm -hmm. downside to pushing the officers' elections and approving past minutes to the March meeting? I mean, the, no, like, downsides. It's, it would be just required to do that. It's sort of, it yeah. will have to wait until there is a quorum to do any of those things at a special meeting. I mean, we could do the minutes anytime, um, but uh, the, that's just what the bylaws say about officer elections as regular meetings. So um, it will just have to move until March, uh, which there is a lot on the March agenda, so we just have to be ready for, for ticking through that. Um, but... I know we've been trying to get officer elections done since November, so I think it's, yeah. But um, so would we need to approve um, Member Preston's absence? Can we do that today since we have quorum? You can do that today. Um, uh, the um, I would wait to do it until after you take public comment on this item. Yeah. Yes. Sounds good. All righty. So um, do we want to move to the discussion prompts, and then we'll take public comment after?
Okay, um, sort of switching back into the content. Um, as I mentioned, and the February liaison meetings will focus on the program side um, and the implementation progress. And of course, then in March uh, will be the opportunity for you all to do a fiscal deep dive with the departments. And so something that we heard um, from departments and um, really want you all to get the content that you need out of these liaison meetings. Um, I wanted to, um, we wanted to set aside some time today to really have some discussion around what it is that you all would like to learn from those meetings so that we can prepare departments accordingly and um, <coughs> you, know, you all can get um, the content that you're looking for. Um, so um, that's that first prompt, um, is what would the committee like to learn from those meetings? Um, and the second has to do with the current budget context. And so just a reminder again that we're looking at about $96 million um, delta from the projected revenue for fiscal year 24, 25, 25, 26 over the two years. And simultaneously, the general fund is projecting an $800 million deficit over that same time period. So we had a chance to sort of refresh the committee's overarching priorities um, that have informed the budget recommendations process in the past. Um, and so given um, the big sort of fiscal challenge ahead of us, um, really want you all to have a chance to discuss today, you know, how that interacts with the overarching priorities and how you want to think about those um, as you sort of consider all of these um, big challenges ahead. Um, so those are the sort of two big prompts. Thank you so much, Radhika. I'm going to open it up. I think Member Friedenbach. Yeah, I have a, a, couple, a couple ones there. Um, this first one maybe blend into the first and second prompt, I guess, but it would be really helpful for the liaison meetings as well. And something I've been in a little bit of communication with the um, controller's office staff, but it would be super helpful to know very clearly in each of the categories, the ongoing funding that's been procured. So, you know, like what our, um, our commitments already are in terms of the money. Um, versus um, the unallocated. And so that we just have a lot of clarity there. Um, and um, the other piece is the same on the one time. So that it's very clear what is the one time monies that have been procured. Of course, that looks a little bit different from ongoing because it's, it's but in the annual report, we didn't get the uh, procured numbers and so it made it look like there was a lot of unallocated money sitting there but I don't actually think that's the that's the case and so because we've um, you know some of that money's um, for example if it's a um, ongoing flex pool subsidy we haven't spent the money down for the rest of the year yet but that's procured, right? So we already have someone in housing that's expecting that assistance and we obviously don't want them to fall out of housing. So I think having that clarity is gonna be really helpful to know how much flexibility we have um, uh, in terms of addressing the shortfall, which of course is very alarming. Um, 
and trying to figure out, um, you know, our budget priorities, which brings me to kind of my next overarching kind of thing around the priorities, which is, um, I think kind of one of the basic budget priorities in any kind of budget um, situation that I've been engaged in is really trying to protect um, successful programs that are moving people out of homelessness. And so um, we, we really wanna be able to do that. And, um, and so I think in terms of the, that's kind of like the overarching priority and in terms of the, um, what we need from the liaison meetings, I think is some measure of success, right? Because we wanna be, be able to see, you know, we've been doing these investments, how are they working? And, um, and so are people staying in the housing? Are people, is the prevention keeping people from becoming homeless? You know, um, all of that kind of stuff. So I think that would be um, some basic, basic information there would be super helpful. Um, so those were my um, two uh, broad points. Yeah. Thank you so much, Member Friedenbacher. Open up to uh, Member Walton. I think building on Member Friedenbach um, for the, February deep dive meetings, I'm interested in very specifically what this committee proposed and have the departments report back what they have actually implemented and funded and then numbers related to that. How many spaces, housing <coughs> placements, um, temporary subsidies were issued um, and how many are still on the plate, which I think speaks to your concept of success. But I'd like to be having them, asking them to define to us what, how they, um, how they identify or define success so that we are really clear on numbers, what we hoped for and what's happening, what they, if they can, what they expect to happen by the end of the current fiscal year. So we have a, really, a real sense of activity. Um, and then that builds into your second part, which is more budget related, and that is, are there funds that they are projecting will be unspent, and that may be more for March, um, even if they've been procured and allocated. Um, so I, I would like them to sort of structure their presentations based on what this committee has proposed and what they've actually done. So it's very clear, and we don't get caught up in apples and oranges trying to figure out what they're presenting and, and how does it fit with what this committee previously approved. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, okay, for me, uh, on the, what would I like to see in permanent housing? Um, I'd like to talk about acquisition. So what are the plans for acquisition um, over the next few years? Um, I would say that's also just a budget priority for me at this point. Um, I think when we designed this, I think we've done a good job of acquiring buildings, but I think we can do better, and I think we can acquire more buildings, and that to me is the most sustainable plan um, of any other options, um, just owning buildings, owning property. Um, yeah, so there's that. For prevention, I'd like to know how many people were turned away, so how many people were not served. Um, for mental health, and this might also fall into the shelter and hygiene category, I'd like to have a better understanding of how we can match CalAIM dollars. Um, it's really complicated. I've tried to look into it, and it's just 
if someone could break it down to like a five-year-old, that would be helpful for me. Um, and then for shelter and hygiene, I'd also like to know what the effects of the RV closure are. So where did people end up? Um, were people housed? Did they end up in different shelters? Did they end up back on the street? Um, so I'd like to know that. I'd also like to know if we closed that, and maybe somebody actually on this committee can... Pier, Pier 94. Is that Pier 94? The, yeah, the, the trailer program. So they just moved it? Or no, the, the RV. They closed it. Yeah, because I'm wondering too, like, um, did they sell the RVs? What happens to that capital? Mm. Okay, well, I'm curious about that because I know they were like 75K each. Um, and post-COVID, uh, those things sell for a lot more. Um, let's see. And then on some other priorities of mine are still domestic violence survivors. Um, it's something I've been advocating for since, you know, this started. Um, and I think we just can always do better um, when it comes to DV, um, which has been, you know, very underfunded for years and years. Um, and, you know, thousands of people get turned away every year. And we know that with COVID too, the rates of domestic violence just got worse. Um, and then also larger family sizes. So four, five, six um, member households. Um, and then just seconding, measuring success, like what does that look like? Thank you. Thank you so much, Vice Chair D'Antonio. I'll jump in and just say, um, we'd really love to hear a report on uh, pregnant people um, and access to housing, as well as the coordinated entry system and improvements to coordinated entry, um, streamlining that specifically for um, pregnant people and women. Um, I know we've had a lot of conversations about this population, but I haven't really heard um, what's been happening um, in terms of progress, in terms of access for folks um, in that area. Um, and I'll second all of what the other members have said here. And also, um, how are we leveraging state resources, as well as I, I'm too interested in Cal-AIM um, and those intersections? Are there other sort of pots of funding that we can leverage and other programs that we can support during this time of uh, budget deficit? And I mean, it's very significant. I mean, I don't want to um, undermine that. Like, this is a big deficit, about $100 million. So I think we really want to work in close partnership uh, with the departments, and I really like the timeline that's, that's been laid out so that we have multiple points of conversation um, so that we're really in partnership because this is a big, big chunk of funding. Member Walton. Um, based on things that were said, uh, one very specific request to particularly HSH is that we heard several times earlier in this meeting that 8% of funding goes to Tay, and they represent 20%, but um, at previous meetings, their representative had talked about the difficulty that some Tays are in the family system, and I want them to clarify uh, how that all fits together so that we have a sense of um, whether that 8% actually covers the Tay that are in family or if there's an additional portion of the family funds that go to that. I think that would help us understand very clearly um, the balance we need to try to adjust for. Can we just do a shout out welcome to the yeah, Lipman Middle Schoolers that just walked welcome. in? Hi. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> so awesome. It's Love the uh, seventh grade class. Fantastic. Welcome, welcome. Uh, member Preston, did you have any items? 
Um, I think a lot of it has been touched on since it, um, I'm a new liaison to prevention. Um, I'm going to want to hear about um, the scope of the programming and the target populations and what we know about um, individual success in these programs. Um, but all of the information has been very helpful, and that's just getting a, a real understanding of uh, who these programs are reaching and um, how we're moving people um, into, into individuals into success. Wonderful. Can Member Friedenbach? Yeah, I just want to add one thing to that on prevention. Um, I won't be at those meetings, but the, the loss of the state funds um, and what kind of impact that that's having on our overall prevention efforts. Um, and that was in the DHSH uh, presentation, but it's pretty significant. Uh, so I think, um, you know, that might be some, when we're, the thing about prevention funds is, is that we can think about them as one time. And so we can ramp them up, you know, as needed. And I do think that there, we're still feeling the after effects of, um, of COVID in terms of people losing their housing. Um, so for example, with the coordinated entry um, intakes for families, we've seen a 34% increase in uh, new families becoming homeless. So that really indicates to me that we're not, we, we're, the prevention dollars are not, like we're, families are becoming homeless, so we, we really, you know, we really need to make sure that we can turn that around. And so there might be some, um, some ways to do that with um, with an analysis of one-time funds available, like some kind of temporary bump. But I'm really concerned about those state funds because we're hearing a lot from folks who are um, who are not able to access um, uh, temporary rental assistance um, as a prevention um, tool. Yeah. Thank you, Member Friedemark. I'm interested in that information as well. All right. I think we'll open it up to public comment at this time, and feel free to uh, comment if you want to. <laughs> Members of the public who wish to provide public comment in person, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have two minutes to speak. At this time, there are no in-person public comments. We'll now take public comment over the phone. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment over the phone, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2660-921-1728, then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have two minutes. Moderator, do we have any over the phone public comments? Hi, this is Kristen Evans with the Homeless Oversight Commission. Um, I, uh, you know, looked again on the OCO website and saw what information the controller has provided in terms of um, unspent and unallocated dollars. And, you know, the information that's available to the public is very limited at this stage. 
I mean, at this point, you can see the annual report that shows that there's over 400 million in unspent money in the fund. And so to have this conversation about budget shortfalls seems really uh, premature without having greater clarity about the uh, buckets of funding that have been allocated but unspent, as well as those that have been unallocated. So I would ask and reiterate what um, Commissioner or uh, committee member uh, Friedbach had asked for, which is at the programmatic level, like really clear, um, up-to-date, up real-time data of what has been spent, what has been allocated but unspent, and what has been unallocated, um, because we can't make decisions with the limited financial information that we have at our fingertips today. Thanks. Moderator, are there any more over the phone public comments? For the records, there are no more over the phone public comments. There's some in person public comment, I believe. Members of the public who wish to provide the public comment in person, please line up at the podium now. You'll have two minutes to speak. Good morning. My name is uh, Jason Young. I just have uh, a couple of questions. Um, how would uh, community members such as myself go about uh, getting more information um, for these liaison meetings um, in regards to, like, you know, this particular issue? Because I see like a lot of people like myself that either are not as well versed or informed of, you know, some of the things and the funding and the priorities and the focus is what's going on uh, with this particular issue. And I think that that's uh, important because a lot of times if you don't know, you don't, you don't hear about it, you don't know, you just, just coming to go. I think that'll be important. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we, oh, did you, I'm sorry, if you want to speak. Oh, no, 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 I, no I, 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 like I said, thank you, to appreciate it. I just wanted to say uh, pretty much the same thing he said. We know we, two uh, community members, we work a lot. We work a lot day in, day out with a lot of our youth uh, in San Francisco. I work, you know, I'm at the, I'm at UCSF, but I'm at the school district. Uh, we do tons of things, um, program development and everything, but we just want to really start figuring out how to be a part of these meetings and how to be a part of the, you know, this this big issue that we have with a lot with a lot with our young folks. Uh, house, I'm gonna just say this a personal story. Uh, there was a young man that showed up to my men's group, do a men's group every third Thursdays at YMCA. Uh, he came and he didn't have anywhere to go. You know, he was a younger kid um, coming from LA, got into some trouble trying to figure out uh, a lot of other situations. And uh, currently the, the person I am, the community member I am, I, I let him stay out my house. So I'm trying to figure out things. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to figure out a solution around what's been going on in my community amongst a lot of the young folks that I work with. So these liaison meetings, we would love to participate and see what we can bring to the table to you know, try to, try to help out a lot with our youth. So yes, ma'am. Um, do you have a couple minutes after this meeting ends that I can check in? Okay, and then I I can kind of walk you through some of the okay. some of the ways to get involved. Yes, ma'am. Okay, yes, ma thank, you, thank so you so much. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we could use your help. Yes, yes yeah. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your work. Thank you. Appreciate your work.
I'm sorry, I was so slow to responding when you guys asking for the comments early. I was thinking about <laughs> formulating my ideas, how I want to respond. This is me, Miguel Carrera, from the Coalition on Homelessness. And uh, so I hear each of you guys presenting different issues. And, uh, and, I, and one thing I was putting more attention when Julia and uh, Mrs. Williams started talking about the pregnant women and the domestic violence. Why I bring to my attention these specific issues? Because we were, since I working for so many years with families, children and youths, so I have been seeing and observing that the city really don't, don't put enough attention, but don't put enough resources to women's pregnancy number one, and then be in the streets, sleeping in the streets, and domestic violence families, which they stay in places, and hiding places, which is not identified because obvious, the domestic violence. So all these moms, all these families, the city is, I don't know how, how, how forms, but they blame because they don't see in these families, and for us, it's really important, the first time, since we had the Proposition C money is coming up, allocate specific money for these women and pregnant and these families who suffer domestic violence. I don't see how many numbers of families suffer domestic violence or pregnant women moving into permanent housing. I don't see no reports from the mayor from anybody in the city. I would love to see something like that. I would like to see what is the numbers of the families we put in housing. Because these moms, these families need permanent housing. They need to be stable. They suffer trauma. They have a, they, 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 they pregnant, the baby is coming. And they need a place where they need to sleep and stay. For the domestic violence families. We need to find in specific time. places because it's really important. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's really important for them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Hello, my name is Jessica Hernandez. I work for the Coalition of Homelessness. I just want to speak about like an important issue. I guess you guys all know about the issue with not having enough resources for anyone, especially housing. I can tell you guys that I'm working with a lot of clients. And as of now, I have no success into getting anyone into housing. I have talked to a lot of people within the city and there's the, the, quite the answer from, from, for everything is, oh, there's not enough resources. And um, you guys mentioned that there's a lot of unallocated money. There's money that hasn't been used. So why has that money not been used yet? Why are families supposed to wait a lot of time uh, in the streets, uh, suffering, uh, experiencing a lot of trauma until this money is allocated? Like, I have an example. There's a huge case about a, a baby who needs, a, needs housing ASAP. Like, he's in the hospital uh, with uh, heart disease, and he needs housing ASAP. And all I got was, oh, there's not enough resources. And because there's not enough resources, there's nowhere to put him. So why should we wait? Why? Like, we need this, this money to be allocated. We need it to be out there serving the community as it should. Um, and also touching the, the, the thing about, like, the RVs. I work with families in RVs. And um, we are working on solutions. We're working on 
putting them in a safe parking site. We're working for the safe parking site. In the meantime, we're also working with HSH to see if we can put them into housing, but there's no resources. So we can assess as much people as we can. We can do as much assessments. Like I can, I can go out there and spend hours, but what I come back with is, oh, I'm so sorry, there's not enough resources. And then I lose the trust of the community because there, there's nothing to provide. So I urge you guys to allocate this money, put it into use, and don't let it just sit there because there's families waiting for it, families who need it right now ASAP. So it, it's, it's important. Thank you. Thank you so much to our public commenters. Any other public comment? That concludes our public comment section. And thank you to the committee for your thoughtful uh, recommendations for what we need to see to be able to make our recommendations for the future given the budget climate um, that we're in. I know there's additional information that needs to be brought to the committee to have a more robust uh, conversation about um, what our priorities are gonna be. Um, but I hope that our staff has documented um, this conversation and just really appreciate everyone joining in on the liaison meetings. Um, but with that, colleagues, I'm gonna move us uh, to item four, future agenda items. Um, I, I just want to mention one that's been kind of on the docket for a while and um, is the uh, housing authority. Yes. <laughs> uh, we have I'm like, I literally give up. I don't know. <laughs> oh, actually, we do have them on the schedule, right? Um, we, we did. did yeah, then... we had them on the schedule. They asked to be pushed to March. We're probably going to have to push them out because uh, March is pretty crowded. So, But they did respond I that they were they... willing to come. We're okay. just working on the finding the date. So okay. we'll keep following up with them and keep them on the list. It's just sort of with the budget process starting now. Um, it, it, it might be later in the spring. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just as a reminder, we wanted them to come to figure out how we can best utilize uh, public housing resources to address homelessness. So looking at um, their annual plan, their preferences, um, how, how much success they've had moving unhoused uh, referrals into, and then including both the, into public housing and, sec and the Section 8 housing choice vouchers and emergency housing choice vouchers. Mm -hmm. um, like we'd really like to figure out, I think, how to collaborate better um, and making sure that um, folks who don't have any housing at all are prioritized for, um, for those housing resources. Yeah. yeah. I, would I think it's important for our system modeling to see like what are the vacancies, what the rate of people moving in is, um, stuff. Because mm -hmm. I haven't been able to find that data online around vacancies, so. So inflow and outflow. Um, yeah, I was gonna say with some clarity on their stock um, and also internal transfers, which were in the, you know, over the past has been a problem and needs to be addressed in order for it to be quality housing. Oh, and inspection timing. What, one other thing is that we've had a bunch of families that were given um, emergency choice vouchers that found a unit, got the inspection, were approved through housing authority, and were just told that they're not going to be able to, that those Section 8 vouchers are being pulled away from them and that they're being moved over to um, folks that were um, uh, on the wait list, I think, it was, they're being moved over to Alice Griffith families, if I recall correctly, but it was like this really torturous situation. I mean, they literally like 
were about to move in and were like about to get handed the keys and got the vouchers pulled. It was really, really upsetting. And, um, and these are unhoused families. And so it just was really heartbreaking. And I think just kind of, you know, talking about what Yessie's saying, you know, a lot of community members are working, a lot of community organizations are working with, you know, developing trust and that just totally destroys the relationship. And so, because from the family's perspective, it's like, the person they're working with is not the people in the housing authority. It's the person who's right in front of them. And then it just, the, provider, yeah. the providers, it's a setup for the providers and it's a setup for the family. So I just, that was really, um, some legal decision came in and that's why they changed it. But that was really, really not okay. Yeah. Sorry, I just had two other things on that. Um, just rad too. And like what other, if, they're still, are they still developing any RAD? Like, are they still tearing down units or is that process pretty much over? Yeah. Yes, okay, okay, yeah, so I'd like more information on that. And then prevention, because I know when, um, a few years ago we had a domestic violence provider come and speak and they were saying that there needs to be more of a focus on um, people experiencing domestic violence in public housing and prevention from them entering homelessness. So I think that's another area of prevention. Mm. That's a great That's really good points. Um, Did All you right. want to do a motion to excuse member Preston? Oh. Yes, let's make that motion. Thank you. <laughs> Someone would need to. Uh, I move to support um, member Preston from missing the February, the March. February? February meeting. Sorry. No worries. So it's been moved um, by member Second. Walton, seconded by member Friedenbach. Um, we'll take roll. Vice Chair Dean. Oh, public oh, comment. Oh, public, public comment. comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm excused absence. <laughs> so for uh, this last agenda item, members of the public who wish to provide public comment in person, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have two minutes to speak. <laughs> All of us are none. <laughs> uh, members of the public who wish to provide public comment over the phone, please call 415-655-0001. Enter access code 2660-921-1728, then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have two minutes. Moderator, do we have any over the phone public comments? For the records, there are no over the phone public comments. That concludes our public comments for this agenda item. Thank you so much, Ivy. So we'll now um, move to a vote on the excused absence. Vice Chair D'Antonio? Yes. Member Friedenbach? Yes. Member Preston? Yes. Member Walton? Yes. Chair Williams? Yes. All right, so that's been approved. And we'll now move to adjournment. Is there a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. So moved by Vice Chair D'Antonio. I'll second. Seconded by Member Friedenbach, and we'll go to roll. Vice Chair D'Antonio? Yes. Member Friedenbach? Yes. Member Preston? Yes. Member Walton? Yes. Chair Williams? Yes. So we are adjourned at 10.30 a.m. Thank you so much to all of our providers that came out today.